forget everything you've ever heard about dieting. What if you could eat the foods you love and find a way to get fit that was actually enjoyable? Welcome to Have It All with Devin Alexander. The chef from TV's Biggest Loser has lost 70 pounds and kept it off for over 30 years. She has also helped others to stop yo-yo dieting and actually transformed their lives. Now, here's your host, Devin Alexander. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here this week, and I'm so glad I'm here this week because my guest today is not someone I've known for a while, and she has a super exciting brand and business um, where she's managed at a very young age to not only be insanely successful and get on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, but she also gives back. up my alley and it's food related so stay tuned for that in a minute I'm going to give you my quick jelly bean update um, for those who are just joining jelly bean is my foster baby girl who um, will likely be adopted in 2019 uh, she blessed my life in ways that I could not even imagine um, I started the process in June of last year 2017 And I managed to have her in my arms in November of last year. And so she just turned a year uh, on Thanksgiving of all days. So needless to say, I had tons to be thankful for. Um, We had a really fun princess birthday party for her. I made too many cakes. Uh, She did a smash cake. But the crazy thing about her right now is what she's eating. Um, She's almost become like a party trick by accident because she's actually a little gourmet eater. Um, I had been giving her Brussels sprouts and like big Brussels sprouts. You can't give them tiny ones because they could be a problem, but big ones. And then those tiny little sweet peppers and like big hunks of watermelon and all sorts of things um, from the time she started teething and she actually eats all of that to the point when she's out and she gets fussy and I give her that people are like is that real and everyone's so surprised and I'm honestly surprised that they're surprised but now it's gotten fun to for everybody to be surprised and starting on her first birthday you know the floodgates kind of open in what you can feed And so the other night, I put this on Instagram, but she literally had, like, salmon with this yogurt dill dip from my book. And she had, like, Brussels sprouts, like, these Parmesan garlic Brussels, I mean, Parmesan garlic butternut squash fries. Also, for my latest book, you can have it. And she loves it all. And so I just encourage um, people to not have limits to to what their kids can eat when things are age appropriate, because everybody is so shocked that it's really taught me a lot. And it's also taught me that uh, I need to do a lot more in the space of helping people get their kids to eat healthy. Um, On that note, speaking of food, I'm going to jump right into our guest. Oh, I should very quickly say that um, things are kind of on hold with the courts. Um, A person who was supposed to file Jelly Bean's birth certificate with the state to get it voided didn't um, for, I thought it was going to take 30 to 45 days, and 47 days later, when I kept bugging and bugging and bugging because I hadn't heard from anybody, I realized that they never even did it. 
So the 30 to 45 day clock started over. And now they're telling me it might be even longer than that because of the holiday delay and things. So um, I'm pushing and pushing and pushing as you have to do with anything you want in life. But as I said, her parents' rights have been terminated. We we crossed the 60 day mark where they could appeal it. So it would be something crazy at this point for her to be taken away. But I will say that I will be much more comfortable when I know 100% for sure and the papers are stamped. So, okay. Now, for our amazing guest. Rachel Sumek is the founder and CEO of Swipe Hunger. The organization is the leading nonprofit in addressing hunger amongst college students. Her work has been recognized by the Obama White House, the New York Times, and landed her on Forbes 30 Under 30 list. In her spare time, she enjoys advising early-stage social entrepreneurs, engaging in L.A. civic life, and jogging around Echo Park Lake, which is local to us here. Rachel is a proud graduate of UCLA and serves on the board of IKAR, ICAR. I don't know what that is, so we're going to have to ask her. Um, she credits her upbringing as the child of Iranian Jewish immigrants for her intersection, intersectional perspective. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. And I loved hearing that update about Jelly Bean as it's so important to consider the life path of foster youth. So I hope to dive into that in our work in that space as well. But I'm so excited to be here and to share about our work with Swipe Out Hunger and the intersection of food and health and also just food insecurity, as we like to call it in this space. Well, there's so many things that, you know, in hearing, so I got to hear Rachel speak at this Athena Summit at USC, which <laughs> I guess is a little in conflict with your alma mater, but <laughs> um, it was funny that, yeah, go USC, go UCLA. Um, <laughs> but she was so amazing to hear. And, you know, we all hear that kids who don't have enough food don't do well in school just almost as a given. Um, there's been TED Talks on it. So I love that you're addressing this issue where students make it make their way to college even if they had a, you know, potentially, I mean, I'm guessing if they don't have money in college, they probably didn't have a lot of money growing up and they were likely eating, you know, subsidized food from schools. I realize that's a generalization, but let's just, you know, for the sake of what we're doing. Um, so how, how, how did this come about? You know, I never wanted to be a mother Teresa type. I didn't really Mm -hmm. have a volunteer bone in my body, but what we really started with was a couple friends and I recognizing that we had this resource. Um, as a college student, if you live in the dorms, you're often required to buy a meal plan. And this is a meal plan that gives you access to these amazing dining halls on campus where you'll get anywhere from 10 to 15 meals a week that you just swipe your card uh, and enter the dining hall. And what happens at the end of the semester is often students who didn't use their 10 or 20 swipes every week and those would accrue would be left with hundreds of dollars worth of meal points on campus. And my friends and I, before they would expire, would see people buying cases of food or pallets of Red Bull with their extra points. And we decided there must be a more impactful thing we can do with these meal credits. And so it started with us physically going in the dining hall, buying to-go boxes of food and handing it out to anyone we saw who was hungry. And then eventually getting UCLA to agree that if a student had this extra money on their meal plan, 
they were given the chance to donate it and the funds would be taken from their account and put onto the accounts of other students so they can enter the dining hall and have this warm meal in community. And again, it, it never was supposed to be a nonprofit. It was just supposed to be something that my friends and I did at UCLA and lo and behold, it caught traction. We got a bit of press here and there and now we're operating on college campuses across 23 different states and really giving a voice to this issue of students going hungry and the impact that that has on their lives and their ability to succeed academically. Wow. So was there ever the thought, and I, I like to go to the negative place in um, just for a minute for people, just so they can hear that we all have, I mean, most entrepreneurs, like you have doubts, you have fears, you have a, oh, that'll never work. Like, what was it that, I mean, did you immediately go, I'm going to go to the administration or how did that happen? And did you really think that it could possibly get this big before you started? <laughs> Not at all. In <laughs> fact, the only reason why we went to the administration was because as our friends were doing this kind of like rogue, go in the dining hall, ask all of our friends to go in the dining hall and buy food, which we would then donate. We were forced to stop. In fact, we had a university administrator come over and destroy some of the food that we'd collected in an effort to scare us away from doing this. And only when we were like basically told we have to stop, did we get the, ch the chance to ask ourselves, but that why? That doesn't seem like the right solution. This seems like something wonderful we want to do. And instead of bowing out and instead of, you know, going and doing a huge protest and pushing back, we went in the middle and we asked the university for a meeting to discuss how we could make this happen. And it was only when we went to the table with them and they said, fine, we can set it up this way in this way where it's actually not reliant on you buying fresh perishable food, we'll set up this back-end financial system. And I, when I think about how change happens, I love that story because it shows that you don't need to like burn down the system. It means you don't have to like give in and find and say, okay, I'm not going to do anything, but always asking the common sense questions of why can't this work and finding a solution through partnership. Wow. So Wait, just to be clear, so you were basically, at the end of the semester, you had extra points, and there were friends of yours who needed food, and so you were just getting takeout boxes and giving them food, and then people were trying to make you stop that? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Like, what was the reasoning at the time? Well, imagine if you are the manager of one of these dining halls, and suddenly you have dozens of students going in and out of this dining hall buying food, walking out, and you don't really know where it's going. Are these students serve safe certified? Is this food going to go bad? Is it going to be someone going to come sue me for this? And so they were concerned with like a very logistical um, uh, focus on the logistics. Right. And, got it. Yeah. And so it was valid. And I think that it was our job to kind of present the other side of why it's critical to share the resources we have. I mean, what we like to say is we're the movement to democratize dining halls. We mm -hmm. think it's such a shame for a student who's going hungry. Uh, there's this big movement in on college campuses. There's 700 universities in the United States with food, food closets, food pantries on site, 700. 10 years ago, there were 12. Wow. And our organization is very excited about that, that schools are taking action and simultaneously concerned 
Because if there's anything that you know and anything that anyone in the social impact space knows, it's that food closets are often not the most nutritious food. It's right. a cup of noodles, it's raviolis, it's canned food. And we think it's very, I don't know, it doesn't feel right to say, hey, poor kids, you walk past this beautiful dining hall and go and get this canned food at this closet. Um and why not, why not just send them to the dining hall where there already is this amazing nourishing food? And our organization's focus is how do we build a financial model that allows that dining hall to still give access to students and not go broke? Because it's a business. <laughs> we recognize right. that. Right, of course. And so when you, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who when they hear this, they're like, wow, the administration actually let you do that. So how did you know who even in the administration to reach out to? I mean, here you were 20 years old, right? Or Not ish. even, I mean, 18. Yeah, yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> I figured yeah. you couldn't have been older than 20. But um, yeah. so like, how did, how did that come about? Was it just you? Was it you and a couple of friends? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, if we want to go back to like the that starting point, I wasn't the charismatic leader of this. I was <laughs> the one who saw my friend Brian post a Facebook status saying, "Who wants to start this thing and use our dining do- dining swipes?" And um, I was like, "I know how to use Photoshop. I'll make the flyers." And just getting strung along. And I, as background. I'm a middle child. I grew up in the suburbs of LA. I am the child of immigrants and I was very I'm Middle Eastern and Jewish. And so my disposition, my personality for most of my life before college was shy and quiet and people pleasing and very nice. And I admired so many leaders. I was very, um, a a more passive person and was kind of in the like co-pilot seat for a lot of what we were when we were getting started and as we partnered with like student government right we were just a bunch of students who were passionate but didn't have a formal title and we knew if we partnered with student government then they would be able to know who the players were and what the politics were so always trying to find people in our communities and people in the system who know how it works and learning from them and finding value in that. So we partnered up with someone in student government who made the intros, who had resources um, and really supported the effort. That is awesome. And then what period of time would you say it took from the time you presented this idea to have the solution that allowed you to give other kids the points? It was about four or five months. So consistent meetings and emails but as far as thinking about taking four or five months to advocate for this and now we have sites all over the country and it's been eight years of that program running it was a worthwhile three or four months (laughs) well no absolutely I mean nothing happens fast especially you know we talk obviously about weight loss a lot here and you know everybody wants everything to happen overnight but I mean honestly when you said three or four like even four or five months or six months would be kind of fast for the level um, of success that you've had. Um, what do you think was the the biggest like hurdle in getting the yes? I think that the biggest hurdle was very much um, understanding that even though we had this amazing idea, and from our perspective, it was this amazing thing that we got in so many of our friends to want to volunteer with and give up their swipes and and come out with us, and how exciting that was, and the potential of getting really attached to that program the way it is. 
and then simultaneously recognizing, fortunately, we were very self-aware students to say, if we wanted to not be flexible, if we wanted to say this is the only way the program could work, then it wouldn't have been successful. Um, and so the hurdle was actually being very focused on what our outcome was. We wanted to make sure people got fed and we were flexible in how it happened. So I think remaining kind of um, open and listening and flexible on like giving up, you know, when it happened or how the flyer had to look for the sake of making sure the program existed um, was something that for us was, I think, critical. Which, yeah, I'm sure you agree would be with any business. Um, We have to go to a break now, but when we come back, we're going to hear more from Rachel about how she expanded this to other schools and um, and what it was like uh, working with the Obama White House. Stay tuned, everyone. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Tune in every week to the Voice America Influencers Channel for The Movement with Shannon D. Hughes. It's all about what's happened in the past that determines the future. Everyone has their up moments and their down moments. The pendulum is always swinging between the victories and the pitfalls in our lives. But each of these serves as success points that we learn from and move forward. Listen for The Movement every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Have It All with Devin Alexander. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to fans at devinalexander.com. Now, back to Have It All. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am here with Rachel Sumac, who is a brilliant entrepreneur who's managed to found and uh, be the president of an organization called Swipe Out Hunger, uh, which addresses like one of the uh, by far most important issues in our country, which is, you know, education and getting enough food. I think everybody's seen TED Talks or some sort of information about if kids aren't properly fed, they just can't do well in school. And Rachel and I, during the break, we're just talking about, she just mentioned that she serves a lot of the foster care community. And I was so excited about that for a number of reasons. Obviously, with Jelly Bean, I have a huge passion in that space, too. The one thing that people don't realize is 77% of the girls who age out of the foster care system get pregnant in one to two years, um, at least in Los Angeles County. And uh, and by age out, it means they never found a permanent home, and then they're just dumped out on the street at 18. And then 19% of the male and female 
population of the Los Angeles County prison systems are foster care youth. So it's just, you know, it's so hard for foster care kids. So Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with that? Absolutely. I mean, we work on the end of, for the students who somehow find amazing foster homes like you're providing, those who do make it to college, making sure that they do receive the support that other students might receive from traditional family structures. And so the stat nationally is that 2.5% of children who grow up in the foster care system actually graduate from a four-year institution, only 2.5%. Wow. That said, for those students at UCLA, it's just under 100 students. There are about 80 students who are impacted by the foster care system who've made it to UCLA, which is incredible. And so on college campuses around the country, philanthropists have invested in building communities for these former foster students to make sure that they get the resources that they need. And so our program works closely with a lot of these communities to make sure that those students have access to dining hall swipes, um, which is one more thing that makes sure that they feel supported. Um, and I think like that's the most exciting thing about our work. We did a big nationwide study last year of all the students who benefited from our program. And what that means is they received free passes to these incredible dining halls. And if anyone listening has not been to a university dining hall, Next time you're in LA, let me know and I will swipe you in. They're bastions of amazing, <laughs> like warm quinoa bowls and avocado toasts, and it really is incredible. Really? Uh, it's amazing. I highly recommend it. Um, and they have all these options. And when we asked our students, what impact did these swipes have on your life? We asked them, how did it impact your academics, your health? your feeling of inclusivity on campus. And obviously all of these were ranked very high, but where the students said the biggest impact happened was in their sense of feeling included on campus. They felt like they could go in this place and not have to, uh, previously we had a student who said, I would always have to run back to my apartment and sit alone as I ate my microwave food because I was too embarrassed to eat my microwave food on campus because that was all I can afford. And I would eat alone all the time. And now I can go to this dining hall and have healthy food with friends, make new friends, be in community as I ate. And it's just so easy to not realize that people have different relationships to food based on their income and based on the lifestyle they're currently living. And we think that really does have an impact. I'm sure it does. And that actually makes me really sad. Like to, you just, you know, take some things for granted. I'm curious, the, um, the 2.5% of foster kids, is that kids who aged out or kids who were ever in the system? Do you know, perchance? Ever in the system. Wow. Yeah. Oh it's my wild. God. I mean, it's the graduation from high school rates. I think it's like only 30 to 50% of youth who exit the system are ever even able to graduate from college, from high school. So already from the beginning, there is this like, it's, it's no surprise that so many folks are focused on how do we improve the lives of the people who've been through the foster care system. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, uh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because um, Jelly Bean actually did her first speaking engagement last week. <laughs> oh um, my god! We did a um, we did a panel on behalf of Raise a Child, um, which is the organization that helped me so much. Um, it's a not for profit, also, and um, they asked us to speak on a panel. So she did her. Rawr, rawr, rawr. 
but um, <laughs> it's so like I just for those who haven't heard me talk about her like I swear she's a miracle child um, she just is the sweetest most perfect baby and she's adorable and the number of people who came up to me after and were like wow I didn't think children like that were in the foster care system um, people have this notion that they're somehow damaged or somehow there's something wrong with them and you know there's more more of the kids than not are cute and you know great kids and they just need someone to love them and feed them you know absolutely I mean the idea that we it's it's so interesting we think about like what is who is valued and who is not and we have these very judgmental um, perspectives on that especially with little babies and when they have um, a challenge or not and the way I love to look at it instead is what's the opportunity here like how can we help this person and for us it's through meals but for so many people it's just like how do we provide this young child a warm and healthy and safe space because that's what's going to allow them to change the trajectory of where they've come from and the challenges and adversity they faced and it gets harder and harder every year um but we, we we're excited about how many people are starting to recognize the important of the importance of investing in, in young foster foster kids. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, so can you tell us, going back to your journey, um, can you tell us how you went from executing this at your school, UCLA, to branching out to other campuses? Yeah, and I don't know how much of this I should make of just about my journey and all the trials and tribulations of self-doubt, really. Um, but the basic timeline is we started at UCLA in 2010. I graduated in 2012, and a group of friends and I ran this as volunteers as we all went and got full-time jobs after college. And after a year of working, I was actually uh, a case manager for folks who are homeless or in poverty. I was doing a fellowship, um, a year of service, and realized that change happens in two ways. I was helping people every day who were homeless or looking for a job, helping them fill out resumes and helping them get food stamps or whatever they needed to survive. And I would see them just kind of come back a couple months later because even if they got a minimum wage job, it wasn't enough to secure a stable life. And I started to realize the difference between just helping one person and then also making sure that the system that they're going into is one that's fair and just. And so what are the small changes we need to make in the existing you know, communities that we're in that make a big difference in people's lives? And realizing that if we have programs where instead of the dining halls and meal plans only operating one way, we added this small intervention. We said, for the students with extra meal swipes, give them the chance to donate it. Don't build a whole new building. Don't build a whole new system in the existing things that we have. Implement this one change. And I think that's what innovation, I mean, everyone uses the word innovation all over the place. And it's not about building a new kind of rocket to Mars. It's about how do we view the things that already are around us every day in a new way. That's innovation. And so I was so excited by realizing which one of these types of change I was excited by. There's some people 
who have to sit across from the person, hear their story, and that's what motivates them. And I personally was motivated by the opportunity to pull these levers in our society that made a big difference. And so after a year of living in Chicago, actually, which is where I was a case manager, I moved back to L.A. I left my Pico in the car, (laughs) threw away my down jacket, (laughs) and moved back and had the chance, this was five years ago now, to ask, at the time I was 21, to ask, like, what does it mean to build a nonprofit in 2013? based off of what we know, which is nutrition matters more than empty calories, but people still need calories. To ask, like, how do we actually have people feel a part of the process as opposed to the old soup line model? And I think a lot of that curiosity and questioning is what continued to drive me to build uh, a nonprofit based off of those questions as opposed to just giving money away and giving food away. And people like that. People are looking for that these days. So did you have to, like, did you get the administrators to agree to do this without any funding? Meaning, like, they just figured out within their own budgets? Or did you have to, like, go out and get investors? How did that? How did Yeah. How did... <laughs> That's the craziest part, right? So we said if UCLA was able to find this money to make this happen, and between that year of graduating and the year of starting full-time, we had USC, UC Santa Barbara, a couple other schools sign on, and we believe then that it's possible for school to find the money somewhere and that's how our model is built it's very uh, we have that model for two reasons one because again the old model of nonprofit of having even even for profit right like when you have a bunch of retail sites all over that are all beholden to the headquarters and they all have to follow the, everything to a T, that model of business doesn't work anymore. People want local because then they get to give immediate feedback and it gets customized to their community. Same thing with our organization. Instead of hiring a bunch of staff to oversee regions and run the program, we said there are already amazing, passionate students on campus and passionate administrators who want to make a difference What if we just got the word out to them, trained them on how to set this up financially, the logistics, how to market it, how to find students who are hungry and get the meal swipes to them and have them lead this program. So every year as the needs change, as um, they get feedback, they're able to immediately implement it and it doesn't have to go through some like headquarters and then come back down as a policy. And it also saves us a ton of money from not having to pay staff because We're giving people the leadership opportunity that I had as a student on campus to realize that change happens if you ask for it. And so the the people on campuses are volunteers. They still are. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's volunteer student groups. And we, of course, like send them T-shirts and stickers and fly them out for like an annual leadership training conference. And so there are a ton of perks. We write them letters of rec for whatever medical school, law school they want to go to and they, of course, walk out with a greater understanding of how change happens. And again, it's not about a canned food drive, but maybe the canned food drive is the entry point. It's about how do we actually make sure that from the beginning, people have access to food. Wow. So going from UCLA to, you said, like, USC and um, uh, US, uh, Santa, Santa Barbara, Barbara right, yeah. were included. Like, what was the... What was the path to that? Like, so you had UCLA, it was going well, and then you reached out to the student body of 
USC or what? Not even. We just posted on Facebook of like, hey, check out, like, we just served all these meals at UCLA. And then we had friends at USC. And then we had friends at UC Santa Barbara and UC San Diego, these local schools and friends we went to high school with who then went off to different colleges, reach out and say, how did you get them to agree to that? We have so many extra meal swipes. And we became experts, I mean, experts in air quotes of how to support students. And I think that was also interesting because at first we're like, wow, so many people are asking us now, let's make a toolkit. And (laughs) the first model of this toolkit is horrible. It was a 12-page PDF just full of text no one wanted to read that and so over the past five eight years now we've just continued to iterate on what is the best way to teach this and now we have this amazing online tech platform with a community board where people can talk to each other and find resources and upload case studies Um, and so now it's both on the phone with our staff that students get to be trained on the one two threes of how to prepare a proposal, who to meet with, how to send that first email. And then also they get to sign into this portal and read all these resources and connect to like-minded peers. Wow. It's amazing how (laughs) good ideas like just spread. And so 23 states now, you said? We're in 23 states, yeah. Wow. And so what is the overall, I mean, I'm guessing the overall plan is to hit all college campuses. It is. And we think it's like, so we are very much, we're a nonprofit for sure, but we also have this startup mentality. And if you're a startup, you want to grow 10x every year. You want to grow exponentially. And we also know that we can continue to grow incrementally one school at a time as these schools reach out to us. But a couple things that make us hopeful about what's happening is, one, in 2017, we got the chance to write some legislation. We had a California state legislator reach out to us and say, this is such a big issue. Students are going hungry. They're surviving on ramen noodles, and that's not healthy for their brains. And let's write a piece of legislation that helps serve students. And we wrote something that led to $7.5 million being passed to be sent directly to California's colleges, community colleges, and four-year schools um, to make sure that the schools have resources to provide um, food to their students. And so that was a huge way to get a bunch of schools on board. And that funding was just renewed now at $15 million. So it worked. Ah. And more and more schools are signing on. And just last week, we found out New Jersey took the same law that we wrote and passed it in New Jersey. So there's this movement happening where I feel much better. I mean, I love my job. I've been doing it full-time for five years, and I still can't believe I get paid to do this. But the idea that I don't have to do this for the rest of my life, right? We might actually solve this problem, at least from my perspective of where our work comes into the picture, that the change is happening. The state is moving forward. The businesses that work on college campuses, that provide services to campuses, are reaching out to us saying, tell us more about students going hungry and how do we, as a business who's invested in this campus, also step up. So the change is really happening um, in a really fast way. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And so (laughs) I love that someone reached out to you to write legislation. That's I know. (laughs) Whoever would have thought in your wildest vision board. (laughs) I mean, amazing. Yeah. Like how 
much of a need is there that a state legislator had to call a 20, at the time, a 26-year-old girl <laughs> from the San Fernando Valley suburbs of LA and say, what do we do about this? Um, and it made me realize that, like, there is no, you don't have to, like, wait until you have the PhD and 20 years of experience to be qualified, right? The right. qualifications now are non-traditional in that I'm definitely qualified because I spent eight years of my life asking this question and meeting with experts. You know, I didn't just decide with like the confidence of a straight white man that I'm qualified to do something. I actually did learn, um, <laughs> but that the qualifications don't have to be the old way. We're qualified based on life experiences just as much as PhDs. Wow. Um, we only have two minutes before break, but um, I know that your work has been recognized by the White House. How did that come about? <laughs> it was wild. I mean, the White House in um, the last administration had this campaign called Champions for Change. And what they wanted to do was identify folks just in the world who on their own spare time were making a difference in their communities. And they had this nationwide search of colleges and students on, on campuses that were making a difference and they had over 15,000 submissions and wow. someone nominated our work and after that landed on the White House's radar they reached out to us and said we would love to invite you um, to be a part of this panel and engage with us and so we came out to DC and little did we know about a minute into the um into the like White House session, President Obama's introduced and he comes out and shares words with us. And we all, it was like a room of 50 people. It was very interesting. Wow. It was wild. And I think in that moment we realized what we were doing wasn't just a bunch of kids breaking the rules, but it was something worth valuing and something worth sharing. We weren't just rebel rousers. We were change makers. That is so cool. Okay, we have to go to break, but when we come back, we're going to hear more about Rachel's upcoming plans. Stay tuned. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Get Unchained. 
Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel, featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Have It All with Devin Alexander. To reach the show today, please call 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. Or send an email to fans at devinalexander.com. Now, back to Have It All. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm here with Rachel Sumac, who is amazing. She's the founder of Swipe Out Hunger, and she was just telling us how she ended up being honored uh, in a room where Obama showed up at the White House um, because of her work. She was also Forbes 30 under 30, and uh, I'm just blown away by um, how quickly everything came together for Swipe Out Hunger. Um, Rachel, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your upcoming plans are. Yeah, our upcoming plans, I I say this with um, only admiration, but our upcoming plans are to be as ambitious as my for-profit male tech startup founders are with our <laughs> goals so how do we make sure that we're just as impatient about demanding change so we are working with a series of very um high touch partners who can help us make sure that our work grows really fast so we just hired a director of communications who's going to be able to really make sure we get the message out we're hoping to host a conference in the end of in the fall of 2019, bringing together our students, our administrators, our, you know, program leaders alongside a lot of really big influencers in the food and social impact space to make sure that everyone knows the importance of prioritizing our college students. Um, and I hope to put ourselves out of business. Our, our goal <sighs> really is to make sure that universities prioritize the basic needs of their students, which was not the situation eight years ago. They said our job is to teach and that's it. But now schools are recognizing that the students that are on their campuses today are different than they were 20 years ago. And they're stepping up. Wow. I love that you said, I've never, I don't know that I've heard another entrepreneur say, put myself out of business, but it's so true. I mean, and as you said, with the legislation in California and that, that you helped write and, and, uh, New Jersey picking that up, I mean, it could actually happen well before your lifetime. 
Yeah. Well, within your lifetime, I should say. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. And then what about, I know that you also help other social entrepreneurs. What does that look like? I try and be the person I wish someone was to me. When I was starting out the first two years, uh, and like just to set context, like when I decided to do this, I moved back in with my parents for almost two years to make sure that I didn't have to prioritize. Like I'm lucky enough that I had parents who can take me back in and I can just focus on the work as opposed to also having a side job. Um, And I spent most of that time meeting with brilliant people for coffee and sometimes people are really nice and like wow that's so sweet good job you're doing such a wonderful job and then I would sit down with other people who were like well why are you doing that why haven't you considered this tell me more about that that's a good idea that's not a good idea and sometimes they were right and sometimes they were not right and I think my job as an entrepreneur was to not take it personally but consider well why was that their perspective and how do I Um, become more clear on whether I need to communicate better or refine what I'm saying. So when I meet an entrepreneur who's working on something, if it's something that I think that they actually have a lot of potential, even if the idea is still really rough, if I think that they're asking the right questions and they're not super ego driven, then I'll push back and say, I think you should be thinking more like this, or I think you should be pushing back on that point, or I think you should drop this whole section of your programming because people need you know, honest feedback these days. I'm, especially in the social impact space, we don't have time for people to have cute projects. I want you, if you're thinking about this, if you're fundraising, if you're trying to get the word out about something, I want you to do it well, not just for fun. Right. And how do you fundraise for the organization? I spend a lot of time meeting very generous people for coffee. (laughs) So (laughs) it's partially that it's, realizing that there are so many people who have had success in their lives and wish that they could be the 20 something when they were at 20 something going out and asking for change. And while they can't do that now, they're able to support someone else doing that work. Um, and it's still a struggle. I mean, we're a pretty small team. We're only four full-time staff. So our budget is not massive, but as I get better at fundraising, I, um, hope that our impact only grows as well. So it, it's twofold for sure. And the very first, can you tell us a little bit if you remember, which I'm guessing you probably do since you're so young and you've done this so quickly, um, what that first sit down was on the fundraising front? Um, <laughs> yeah. How- yeah. I'll share two stories. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, the first big check, the first, I mean, and my big, I mean, the first check we got over like a hundred dollars was, um, when I met with my friend's uncle, my friend is like, you know, my uncle is very philanthropic. You should meet with him. And I met him once. And then I met him a second time for lunch at the cheesecake factory. And it was a four and a half hour lunch. And at the end he pulls out his checkbook and he says, what was the name of your organization again? As he hands me a check for $10,000. And I realized (laughs) in that moment that people aren't funding us because we have this like beautiful branding or because we have a great company name or like our programming or something, right? They're funding us because of the vision, the way that we inspire people to believe that change is possible and we're actually making that happen. So I think that was a great fundraising lesson for me as 
a leader to know that I have to be able to share the vision with people. And obviously he asked me for a bunch of financials afterwards and became like more invested, right. but that was one. And then two, um, I remember going to a funder meeting. There is this foundation that one year gave us $15,000 and it was so generous. And at the end of that year, we had a second sit down for them to consider if they wanted to invest in us again. And I remember before going to this meeting, I was so excited. I'm like, this isn't just a review. This is also uh, another chance to pitch for next year. And I was deciding on an outfit to wear. And I'm like, this dress is too short. And that one is too tight. And that one's too baggy. And this one's not feminine. And this one's not professional enough. And I had this like hour long crisis on a day where I had no time to do that. And I remember getting in the car and driving across town for this meeting and feeling so frustrated with myself that I let this stupid like body image whatever thing get in the way of what I needed to prioritize that day and then I got even more angsty of like well men don't have to worry about that you know and which is like not true they have their own things to worry about but I do think that women have an extra burden to present themselves in a specific way especially when you enjoy presenting yourself a specific way um, and driving to this meeting, I started to cry and I looked in the make in the mirror before I got out of the car and I noticed like two streaks running through my makeup. And I was like, so taken aback by how much pressure is put on us to fundraise and to perform. And so I kind of like reapplied my makeup cause we always carry extra makeup with us and <laughs> walked into this meeting having like process all of this by saying none of that matters. What matters is me walking into this room and smiling and explaining why our work is so important and totally killed it. Got a $50,000 investment that like I got news following that meeting. And um, since then I've tried to learn the balance of like one being a young woman has a lot of pressure Two, being a female founder and having to present our work in a certain way has a lot of pressure. And then just knowing how does change happen? What do we need to prioritize? And having these three things come together um, has allowed me to stay more focused and not let the bullshit of how do I look and what are people going to say and more so just say what makes me feel good? How do I think I need to feel to walk into this meeting? And then making my decisions based off of that. That was a, a more personal story, but just to say it's not easy. And I still have moments like that where... I have to like know that my board members aren't going to be the people sometimes to give me the pep talk. Instead, I need to call my dad or my sister to give me a pep talk. Not everyone's going to be the support I need in every way. And that's true with people in all of our lives. Or call me because I think I can help you in this area at least. <laughs> if you ever have a body makeup, whatever crisis again, um, <laughs> that's my specialty. So <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I had Carrie Kirpin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but I had her on the show and she has this book called Work It where she interviewed Sheryl Sandberg and all these other big women. And she has this thing that we, you know, a lot of people go for one mentor. She thinks it's better to have have like one person per category who actually helps you specifically in that category. Agreed. So it's kind of funny. Well, we only have like less than five minutes left. So I would love for you um, before we jump into anything else to tell us where we can find you and or more information about your organization, because I'm sure people are going to want to look you up now. I share so much about the journey on my Instagram. If you go to uh, Rachel Sumek, R-A-C-H-E-L-S-U-M-E-K-H on Instagram and Twitter, 
Um, and you can follow Swipe Out Hunger at Swipe Out Hunger on Instagram. And if you go on our website, swipehunger.org, you can sign up for our newsletter. We send it only four times a year, so it won't clutter your inbox. And if you know any students on campus at any university or college in the U.S. who wants to get active, send them our website and let's get another program started on their campus or let's plug them into what we have already. Or, of course, if you know anybody philanthropic who is looking to give money before the end of the year, send them Rachel's way. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the impact of the dollars is huge because, again, we're catalyzing the dollars already on campus. So when you donate to us, it allows us to tap into about $7 in the campus cycle. So you have a 7x return. Nice. Um, okay, very quickly, you are a busy CEO, and you look phenomenal, even though you clearly have moments of doubt, like we all do. Um, <laughs> what do you do to stay in shape amidst all of the crazy and the stress and the fundraising and the getting other people fed well? I, one, drink a lot of water. Um, two, I go to the gym at least like two, three times a week. I have a regular like gym membership. And if I don't do that, it also impacts my mental health. So I love working out and make sure I make the time for it. It's funny that you say that because I think, you know, so often we say we don't have time to, and I will admit that I was guilty when Jelly Bean was born. I thought that I was going to be that person the stroller mom you know you see these moms with the <laughs> strollers and then all of a sudden she's you know like baby schedules aren't exactly what you think they're going to be and I'm like how do those moms do it <laughs> and I did go a bit of time without um working out much at all although I do live in a two-story house and her bedroom is on the bottom floor and mm. the the kitchen's on the top floor so I walk the stairs at least 30 times a day in my house um, with her now, but we also, you know, did try to go and walk some things, but I definitely, I mean, I, when I got back in it, I definitely sent the change and I'm super proud that, you know, I play tennis and, um, and I forced myself to get on more teams during that time, um, or this year to make sure that I hit the gym. Totally. I think it's always a time management thing. I used to think I had to work 80 hours a week for me to be a successful entrepreneur, but then I just learned how to structure my time and get everything done still. So true. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. I can't tell you how enlightening and inspiring this has been. And um, congratulations on all of the amazing work. I truly hope that um, you continue to succeed and that we uh, get this one closed out and hear about your next venture soon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me and for everyone for, for listening. Have a great one, everyone. Thanks for listening to Have It All. Be sure to join Devin Alexander for another great show next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Until we talk again, have a fit and fun week.